You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Okay, good to be with you guys this morning. I am uh, excited to be here and expecting what God's going to do the next two weeks in this topic of spiritual warfare. I practiced my talk last night. It was 50 minutes long, so I'm going to cut a lot out this morning. I'm going to speak in phrases, incomplete sentences, and some Spanish. So, <laughs> comprende, here we go. So, um, I want to pray first before we get started. I know, that, I know this topic is a disclaimer, as David mentioned, too. This topic is a, um, a bit interesting. We don't talk about it too much. It's an important topic we believe in our church in the area of freedom and walking in what God has for us and holiness as well. And I know this topic has a great range of different opinions, theolog- theological ideas, and I'm going to share the right one today. So, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, no, I'm not kidding. But anyway, <laughs> so let's pray before we begin this, uh, this two-week series and, uh, and ask God to show up and just touch our hearts. God, we thank you for what you've purchased for us on the cross through Jesus Christ. I pray you would produce in us today, God, hope, Lord, for those who have felt uh, hopeless and for those who have felt trapped and those who have, of us who have felt Uh, broken by the past mistakes they've made. God, I pray that you would come in power, you'd silence the enemy, and that you'd speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have an enemy. We're we're involved in a battle as Christians. We we know that. The battle the Bible talks about is, is threefold. The battle is the flesh, the world, and the devil. The first two we talk about, you know, pretty frequently. The idea of the flesh is what what uh, is in, in us, our nature, that we desire selfish things, sinful things. We're battling the flesh, Paul says in Romans 7, that I do what I don't want to do. And there's this ongoing battle all the time that we are fighting. The other battle is the world, the, the cultural values, expectations, ideas that we're, that we're up against that are not biblical, not Christian, that we're fighting not to be conformed to, Paul says in Romans 12. Don't be conformed to the mold or the pattern of this world. So that's our second battle. The third battle is the enemy. Uh, is our spiritual enemy, Satan. And it's something we don't talk about too often, but we feel like it's, a, it's an important, important idea that, that I really want to talk about because I believe there are people in our, in our church that perhaps have fought things in their lives and they've done everything they can. They've gone to counseling or they've read books or they've come down, come down for prayer and they're not addressing this other part that could be linked to their freedom and their holiness and their joy in the Lord. Ephesians 6, if you can put it up, on the screen there, says, uh, put on, 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you can stand up against the schemes of the devil. Here it is. We do not wrestle against the flesh and the blood, which you can see necessarily with the flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Pretty, it's a pretty dark picture. You know, it's a sense that we're wrestling against that which we don't see. There's a realm of existence that's just as real, that's just as important and relevant that we cannot see with our senses, our touch, taste, smell, sight, hearing. That that realm affects the flesh and blood things happening in this earth, whether it be cultural things or things in your own family or things in your generational lives and your, your tradition, and, you know, parents and grandparents, whatever. I'll get to that next week. But the idea that there's other forces at work, there's an enemy that is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And Paul is saying that simply looking at the flesh and blood, the logical stuff, 
is not the answer necessarily. You have to understand that you're in another battle, and the battle deals with the unseen forces, and those things are what we're going to talk about. Um, the enemy is described in the Bible as being the devil or Satan. And what we know about Satan is that he was created by God. He was uh, perhaps it's mostly, mostly agreed that he was an angel, a high-ranking angel. Romans 12 says that, or Revelation 12 rather, says that the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. What that, what that is typically understand, understood as being that his deception was so strong that he took a third of the angelic host, these angels that God created. Before there was humans, God created angels. And they're a, they're a race of beings that had powers and authorities and assignments, and they, they were made by God. And Satan in his deception, whatever the deception was, not, the, not really that important, whatever he said or did or what he, how he convinced them, but he took them and convinced them to go to earth. And what happened in the Garden of Eden is very important that we understand this. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were given dominion over the land. They were given power and authority. They were given the right to rule, reign, be creative, and, and bring God's uh, attributes to earth. They were, they were supposed to create a heaven on earth. And when they were deceived by the enemy, by the serpent who was the devil, when they were deceived, and they, they agreed with the devil. They, they agreed with the lies of the serpent. When that happened, the dominion of the earth was given over to the enemy, Satan. And from that moment in history, Satan has had the power over the earth. That's a strong statement. He's still defeated by God. He's still under God's authority, no doubt. But legally, when God said, this is, I give this all to you, Adam and Eve, I give this all to you, they gave it through their own agreement with the enemy. They gave it to him. And, and the power of the cross and the resurrection you know, Jesus came, he defeated Satan, he defeated disarmed principalities and powers. So those of us in Christ have authority over the enemy, but the whole world still is under the sway of the enemy. That's important to understand this. Jesus said in John 14, I will no longer talk much with you because the ruler of the world is coming and he has no claim on me. So Jesus is saying that there is a ruler of the world, this is the, this is the enemy, and he, he, rules, he rules and has power. I'm not. Ta- I, I, I want to say before you know, even get going here. I don't want to bring attention or, or any kind of attraction to the devil or undue praise. I want us to understand our enemy, but I don't want to bring, you know, this kind of like, ooh, it's so neat or this is so interesting, and, and you kind of go home and, and watch The Exorcist or something. You know, don't don't do that. You know, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Um, the point is that we need to understand the battle that we're in to overcome and fight it. So Jesus says, before he's, before he's been crucified, that this is the rule of the world. After the crucifixion, you think, has something changed? Second Corinthians says, verse 4, 4 says this, In their case, the unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, you know, those who don't believe in Christ, the God of this world, to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the, of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. And in 1 John 1, 1 John 5, 19, sorry, says, We know that we are from God, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's a pretty, pretty strong statement. So, 
when Jesus comes on the scene, he encounters normally, naturally, these issues because he has an enemy. And over and over again in the scriptures and the gospels, we see him engaging darkness, him engaging the demonic. Demons are just the, those angels that were agreeing with the, the enemy that went with Satan. I don't know, that sounds hokey, doesn't it? It sounds like I'm saying some kind of, I don't know, just get over that. Anyway, so, so those, those demons agreed with the enemy. They went with Satan. And Jesus comes on the scene, and it says over and over again, he taught in the synagogues, he healed the sick, and he cast out demons. He taught in the synagogues, healed the sick, he cast out demons. It was, just, it was normal, natural. It wasn't, it wasn't crazy. In the Western church, in America, and in, in the Europe, this is weird stuff to us. It's like we are logical. We are Western. We think only what we can see, and we're suspicious of anything that's unseen. So in the Eastern, or the Eastern church, if you go to China or if you go to Africa, it's all about spiritual warfare, maybe too much so. And I don't, I don't believe Satan causes every time you cough, it's a devil. Or every time something bad happens, it's a devil. That, that's, that's kind of ridiculous. But at the same time, we can't just sit here and think, he doesn't have any power, he doesn't have any influence in our lives. We have to ask the question, what areas of my life, you know, could there be any influence at all? So Jesus comes on the scene, and he begins to deal with this issue. Mark 1 says, he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, casting out demons. Matthew 8 says, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. He cast out spirits with the word and healed those who were sick. The key word there is oppressed. That's the English Standard Version, oppressed. Many translations that you may read says possessed. And you have this imagery of like these people that were like zombies walking around, like grabbing people's throats and sucking blood or something. And that's just, that's just, that's just not really what, what happened. These are multitudes he was healing. So there wasn't like multitudes of zombies walking around. These are people that were just were simple, normal people that had problems in their lives. And as Jesus began to deal with them and heal them, he realized there's other issues that need to be dealt with as well. And so he cast out these unclean things. They were oppressed. They were, in, the, in the Greek, it's, the word is demazio, which just means tormented or oppressed. It doesn't mean possessed. So the ESV has it right, in my opinion. In the last hundred years, there's been a huge resurgence of this, this idea of spiritual warfare. I wanted to say this earlier, but I didn't. And as the charismatic churches have walked in healing and, and freedom, as we've encountered those things and believed God for greater things like that, people that have gone before us, the forerunners I would call them, in this area of healing, have seen that people are not getting free. And there's areas of their lives that are under the sway or influence of the enemy. And so this idea of spiritual warfare has gotten a lot of attention in the last 50 or 60 years. And there have been many different ministries over the years that have kind of pioneered this area of, of deliverance and freedom, it's called. I wanted to show you just a quick, if you guys can go back to that, just so you know, these are some of the resources that I, I was looking at, besides the Bible, obviously. But these are resources that are helpful. If you want to read some of these or write some of these down, these are guys that are ranging from Catholic to Protestant to charismatic to non-charismatic, but they are pioneers in the area of warfare, spiritual warfare and deliverance. For your own sake, to, to just, just to look at that, there are you know, guys from, from the last 50, 60, 70 years. Some have, some have passed away, some haven't. Just let me get back on track. I want to show that to you guys just for your own benefit. So what, in what ways do, does the enemy have an influence as you as a Christian? How can you, who has the Holy Spirit living inside you, be affected by Satan? It's a valid question. 
I've heard this question asked many times. How can me, who has the Holy Spirit as a Christian living inside me, be affected by the enemy? Well, the issue is, the, the answer would be that we are not just spirit. We're body, soul, and spirit. What that means is, the Bible calls us body, which means sarks in the Greek, which is your, your physical body, your flesh, what you can see, your organs, your, we can't see those, but your, your body. <laughs> Sorry, maybe. Anyway, your, your soul, that's your volition, your mind, your desires, your will. That's, that's your personality, your soul. And the spirit is the part of you that communes with God. It's what's born again, and, and it's what, what, what God fills with his spirit. So that as a Christian is, is always intact. That's not, that's not in question, the spirit. But the enemy has power to affect us in our soulish realm, or soul. Sounds weird, soulish realm. It's like Darth Vader. Anyway, so soulish realm, soulish areas of our lives, or our body physically. And over and over again, we see this happening in Jesus' ministry. Luke 13 says, there was a woman there who had been crippled by a spirit, Luke 13, for 18 years. So she was physically affected, physically, by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over, could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said, woman, you're set free from your infirmity. Verse 16, skipping down, should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 years, be set free on the Sabbath her? So, does that mean everyone who's crippled has a demon? No, of course not. Of course not. But Satan has power in this area, and we should at least ask the question. So another one, another one jumping down to uh, Mark 5.5. 5. This is the one time I'd say the word possession is a valid translation here. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there was a man who met him from the tombs who had an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. Night and day among the tombs on the mountains, he was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. So he was cutting himself, trying to either kill himself or hurt himself. There was serious emotional, mental problems going on in his life. So Satan had the authority in this man's life to affect him emotionally. In the woman's life, it was physically. Over and over again, we see 33 times in, in the Gospels, we see Jesus encountering people. 33 times. It's a lot. Over and over again with issues of physical or emotional issues. Does that mean every emotional issue is demonic? No, it doesn't. Don't go there. The point is, we have to ask the question, is there an area of my life that has been so out of control, unirrational fear, irrational anger, things that I've struggled with, habitual problems in my life that I've, I've addressed over and over again that have, I have no victory over? Could there be a link somehow in my life to something, something going on spiritually? It's like we're body, soul, and spirit. It's like we're a fortress, if you've seen Downton Abbey, it's one of my wife's favorite shows, Downton Abbey. This is, this, is, this, is, this is a story about this British family that has this huge property, this castle. And they have a, a castle, and there's all these beautiful rooms and corridors and hallways. And there's a garden, and there's a huge property with a gate and, and a, you know, a wall surrounding it. That's kind of what we are as people. We have this, we're, complete, we're very complex. And over time, what happens is, Events that are done to us or events that we've done open areas of our property, so to speak. Doors, windows, gates, to the enemy. And we give the enemy the right to that part of the property, so to speak. And if it's not dealt with, he, in a sense, becomes a squatter. He says, this, is my, this, this part is my property now. So now, 
you, you think, oh, I've, I've always been just like, I've always been angry. I'm just, I'm just an angry person. Or I've always been fearful. And that area of your life becomes out of control. And it, be, it's beca- it could be because there is a, a legal right that we've given to the enemy in that place of our lives to come into our lives and affect us. At my house, this is an embarrassing story I wanted to share. At my house right now, we have this, <clears throat> this critter kind of living with us. We discovered it about four months ago. It's a rodent, and I'll just be honest, it's a rat. And, um, and it's, it's pretty gross. And, and about four or five months ago, we heard these noises in the kitchen. We ran in, I went in there, and I saw this, this thing, this, this, this critter, and he ran in the corner. And, I, and in the last four months or five months, I've tried literally everything to, to get rid of this thing. I have bought the sticky traps. I bought the poison. I bought the other traps. I've I bought a motion sensor camera to take, pic- to take pictures of where the rat is at night to see where he's living. It's ridiculous. I've had him, I've had him cornered, literally, with my tennis racket in the laundry room. He was jumping from thing to thing. It was, this, this, this rat is a Harvard laboratory rat. He's escaped from an Ivy League school. He's brilliant. He just, it's amazing. And we can't kill him. So now we just call him Frank, and he lives in the kitchen, pretty much. I mean, that's really, that's really what's happened. I mean, honestly, we'll hear him, and we'll hear him at nighttime. It's like, oh, that's just Frank. I mean, he's just getting some, some of my son's leftover baby food or something. You know, it's like whatever. And it's true, and, and I had, I have, I'm going to kill him. I had to keep him alive for this illustration for this week. But um, this week he's going to be dead, so next week I'll tell you he's dead. Anyway, but the point is, he doesn't have a right to be there, and I've accepted him being there as if he's part of the family now, but he is an, an animal that doesn't belong there. He doesn't belong in our house. It's not his property. It's, it's disgusting. He, he brings disease. He's, he's, he's not supposed to be there. And in our lives, we, and many times, have accepted allowing things in, and we go, oh, that's just, that must be, that's just probably me. That's just me. You know, the fear or the lust or the anger, like I've gone through these different examples. And it may not be just you. It may, it may be something else that we've allowed in and we've agreed with because of some, some event in our lives or some pattern of thinking Satan's biggest tool is deception. That's what he does. He makes you think, this is really you. He makes you think, oh, this is, this is just one of your major flaws, that this is the you. He uses two real categories. He accuses and he tempts. He accuses and he tempts. Accusation is based in shame. So he calls you a failure. You've, you have really gone beyond you know, forgiveness now. You have messed up. You're a reject. You're a loser. You're a failure. You'll never be successful that's accusation. That's a huge weapon of the enemy. He's called the accuser of the brothers, the Christians. That's what he does. He accuses. He also attempts. So temptation is rooted in pride. Oh, this, this, rule, doesn't, this, this rule doesn't apply to you. You deserve this, man. You deserve this. This, this, is, this is no big deal. God's grace will just take care of this. Don't worry about this little sin. Don't worry about this little area of your life. You can do this. It's temptation. It's rooted in pride. The rules don't apply to me because whatever, whatever justification. I've worked really hard this week. I deserve to get drunk on Friday night. I deserve to cheat on my wife. Right? I've earned it. My wife is not, not whatever. The, the rationalizations, justifications that we go through, that's temptation. So those are the two categories he uses. And about eight years ago, I'm just going to be honest about some stuff. Eight years ago in my life, well, eight years ago, I was involved with this, uh, this prayer group, this, uh, this group of guys that were praying uh, and having a Bible study. It was, it was up in Virginia before, before I was married. And I was involved with this group, and there was a guy there who asked for prayer for these weird things happening in his life. 
He said, I need prayer, guys, tonight. I have this weird thing where I, where I go into spiritual context. Like I go into a prayer meeting, I go into a, a church or a Bible study, and I start getting these weird chest pains, like anxiety. And I get these weird, like, head, headaches, like a weird, like, heaviness, like a football helmet on my head. And so we started, they started praying for this guy. And one of the guys, Joe, a really nice guy, just didn't really know, you know what was going on. He just, he just said something you don't really want to say. But he said, I just want to carry this burden for my friend. And I, just, and I invite whatever this is to come over to me right now. And again, we were a bunch of guys that didn't know what, didn't know what we were doing. We were, trying, we were just good evangelicals. We just were praying, and we didn't know what we were doing. And uh, I mean, I'm not saying you don't know what you're doing. If you're in, whatever. <laughs> Let that go. Strike that from the record, from the record. Anyway, and what happened was, within 10 seconds, whatever it was that was affecting this guy that was getting prayer went over to Joe. And Joe fell on the ground, and he said, I can't carry the band screaming. Like, I can't carry. And he was, he was the most non-emotional, stoic, logical guy. And he said, I can't carry this, Lord. Take this from me. Whatever this is, it's horrible. Take it, Lord. Take it, Lord. And what had happened was, Joe opened something in his life. He legally said, it's weird. But he said, come over to me. I want to carry this thing. And all of us in that moment realized that what was affecting the guy was not just an emotional issue. It wasn't just stress. It wasn't just anxiety. It wasn't just a mental, emotional thing. It was also linked to something spiritual. And when Joe did that, we all realized, this is, this is serious. This is not, we're, this is out of, our, out of our pay grade here. And, and it eventually, eventually it stopped, and it kind of left him, and he was praying some more or whatever. And the reality was, the, the shocking thing, or the whatever, the point of the story is, the guy that was getting prayer was me. It was me. And I was asking for prayer because for so many months I had been living in this torment. I was going to prayer meetings. I was going to church meetings. I was leading a ministry of singles at my church, a very successful ministry. And I was living a double life. And I was living in sexual morality, addiction to pornography, and and much, much worse stuff as well before I was married. And I was living in rebellion. There's another way to say it. I wasn't just struggling. I was rebelling. There was a truth that I knew that I was living a lie. And I wanted God, through these guys, to heal me of the symptoms. This is hugely important. This is actually the point of the whole talk. I wanted God to heal the symptoms, but not the problem, not the cause. The cause was my rebellion. The cause was my refusal to change or repent and turn back to God. And I realized in that moment that my problem is not just emotional. I was taking four pills a day. I was taking a pill for anxiety because I had crazy anxiety in those meetings. I was taking a pill for migraine headaches. I was taking a pill to sleep at night. I was taking a pill for nausea for all the other pills that made me sick. Four pills a day, and it really wasn't working. And so I realized in that moment I have a serious problem, and if I keep going down this road, I'm probably going to either lose my faith completely or I'm going to die. I lost my ministry. I was removed from ministry. When it it all came out, you know, it did. I confessed it and it all came out. And God brought freedom because I I, I chose to deal with it. I chose to to agree with God. This is is huge, folks, that when God shines the light of something in your life, we have the choice to agree with it or not agree with it. The truth exposes what's there and shows the way out as well. So it's like a dark room and a flashlight is shown in a, in a pitch dark room. The flashlight shows what's there. You see very clearly what's, what the obstacles are in that room. But it also shows the way out. 
And that's what happened that night for me. The truth was made clear. This is, this is an issue, and this is the cause. Will you take the way out? And I didn't for many months. I got much, much worse. Bill Johnson has an example of this in, in one, of his, one of his books. He talks about this woman who came down for prayer all the time. She went, to, she went to all these conferences, all these meetings, and she was going down prayer for this severe problem with arthritis. She was asking for prayer all the time for physical healing, physical healing, and she never got healed. Does that mean if you have arthritis, it's a demon? No. Again, disclaimer. And Bill started praying for her, and he realized that the issue wasn't physical, but it was spiritual. And he said to her, the Lord showed me that the cause of this issue of unforgiveness is, the issue is unforgiveness. That there's an issue that you've not forgiven your father for, and you have so much bitterness towards him, it's literally causing your body to physically manifest this stuff called arthritis. And she, was, she became enraged, and she was, I'll never, never forgive my dad for what he did. And he's like, you've given the enemy legal right in your life because of this unforgiveness in your heart towards your dad. You've given the enemy legal right to come in and do this. And as as they began to talk about it and pray about it some more, she said, okay, I'll do it, and I'll forgive my dad. And when she did that, he was able to cast out the unclean spirit that that was bringing torment to her body, and she was set free. That's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. The legal right that through our actions, through our disagreement with God, we allow things, perhaps, to come into our lives. I'm not talking about one time, one struggle, one mess up, one failure. I'm talking about what I was experiencing in my life, habitual, overt rebellion. There's no other way to say it. There's no other way to say it. It was overt rebellion. And Satan came in with deception, with lies, and, and, it, and it, it became its own power. It became an addiction. And addiction is like that, isn't it? I mean, addiction is like a power unto itself. If you struggle with addiction, you know what I'm talking about. It became like this force that controlled your own will in this area. Originally, it wasn't like that. Originally, you're like, you know, you think of like the thing that you, whatever the addiction may be, a teenager says, I'm going to go get drunk this week. I'm going to try drinking this week. I'm going to rebel against my parents and get drunk. I'm going to rebel against my parents and start smoking. Whatever it may be. The, the, the thing that you thought would bring you life, it may work for a few months or a few years, but in a few years, that teenager is 25 years old and he can't stop drinking. There's an addiction in his life, and he can't go to a party without drinking, or he can't stop smoking, or he can't stop sleeping around, or whatever it may be. The point is, the thing he thought would bring him freedom has stolen his freedom. The thing he thought would bring him life has stolen his life. And some of us have experienced that. The thing we thought would give me life, that rebellion, or that assertment of my independence, or that assertment of my freedom, has stolen my freedom over the years. And now I can't forgive my dad, and now I can't get free from this, this thing. Folks, there is hope. There's hope in Jesus tonight. There's hope today. Tonight, there's hope in Jesus. <laughs> there's hope in Jesus this morning. God de- delights to deliver us. He delights to deliver us. He really does. He really does, folks. His heart, his heart is so good. His heart is so kind. His kindness leads us to repentance. We wouldn't turn to him if we didn't know his love. If it was just about an act of repenting, it wouldn't really matter. We're repenting, to a, we're repenting to a father who loves, who enjoys, who delights in us, even in our weakness. He sees the yes in our spirit and he says, I want that one. But he doesn't do it without our choice. He doesn't do it without us choosing. Repentance is first a choice. Tom mentioned this a few weeks ago. It's first a choice. Repentance is a change of mind. Metanoia in the Greek. Changing of the mind. So when that woman changed her mind, about forgiving her dad. 
She repented, even though it didn't maybe feel that way. She repented. She changed her mind about that issue. And God was able to break in in power to set her free. And that's what happened. This is the foundation of all healing and deliverance, folks. It really is. Deliverance means getting set free from what I'm talking about. Deliverance is just a term that we use. So this is the foundation. Next week, we're talking about specific things, specific areas, and a real practical way to deal with some of these things. But today, the point of it is, if there's disagreement in our hearts towards God about certain things, there may be the legal right there that you're giving to the enemy to, tor- to torment you. Agreement with God is the foundation of freedom. The truth shines the light in the darkness. This is how, this is how it works. God exposes something with you. He exposes an area in your life with his, with his love, with his gentleness. He exposes it, maybe shockingly. We repent. We choose. We, we turn with our will. And he sees that choice and he pours out grace. The grace of God pours into our life. It's the power. It's the fuel. It's the, it's the unmerited favor. So the grace is like the gasoline on the fire that gives us the power to walk out freedom. Grace is not a license for sin. It's the power over sin. Grace is not a license to do what we want. It's the ability to do what is right. And if we don't know, if we don't know truth, the word of God, if we don't know truth, then we could be walking in deception. That's a simple reality. If we don't know about truth, whether it be be in areas of money or forgiveness or sexuality, if we don't know the truth of God, how can we walk out the freedom of God? So we need to know the truth that shines the light in the darkness so that we can choose to follow and allow a loving Father to set us free. It's all been purchased for us on the cross. It's all there as Christians. He has disarmed the principalities and the powers. He made a spectacle of Satan, a fool of Satan on the cross. And we, as Christians, have the legal right to say, I want darkness in my temple, or I want light in my temple. We can say, we want darkness. And God says, I will not share you with a demon. I'm not going to share you with a demon. So it's your choice. It's your choice. And this is hard. This is a hard word. I know it's a hard word. Because there are certain things I don't want to, you know, you may not want to forgive your dad or whoever it is. But it's a hard word. But we need to know that we have a Father who's right there, enabling, empowering, and ready to pour out grace when we are willing to walk in it. So, amen. I want to end with this, this hopeful picture of, uh, of King David, who had done so many horrible things in his life that he committed adultery. He had a man murdered, his, her, her husband murdered. And he did some horrible things. And he says this in Psalm 18 when he's kind of now walking in a place of, of freedom, and he's walking in a place of, uh, of, of joy. And he says this about the Father. He says in Psalm 18, He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in my day of calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a broad place, He rescued me because he delighted in me. That's the heart of the Father. He rescues us because he delights in us. I find it interesting that David says, he rescued me from my strong enemy. Who's David talking about? At that point, point, David had no strong enemies. He'd conquered them all. It's the enemy of his soul, I think. It's it's the enemy. It's, It's literally the devil. He says, he rescued me from the devil. He brought me into a broad place because he delights in me. That's what I want to end with, folks. He 
delights in us. He, deliver, he delivers us because he delights in us. And he's ready to do that. And that the door is open. And I want us to just be quiet for a second as I pray and ask the Lord if there are areas in our lives that he wants to show truth and show us the way out. God, I just thank you, Father, for your great kindness and your great love for us, Lord, this morning. I pray, God, you would shine light in darkness in areas of our lives, Lord. You'd shine. We just welcome your light, Father, right now. We say your light is good and that your truth is good, that Jesus said that truth will set you free. When you know the truth, it'll set you free. So, God, I ask that you would show us truth this morning. We love you, God. You're worth it all, Father. You're worth it all, God, because you gave it all for us. And we just want freedom to walk in life and joy and in holiness, God. Thank you, Lord. Amen.